Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the Crash Course in Cash Flowing Rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E, or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals, while you're at our website too. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Today, Kenji and I are going to be doing an episode together where I talk about my experience with Rich Dad, the original Rich Dad, Keith Cunningham, who actually was really the foundation behind Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I've been doing a mastermind with him, which has been absolutely amazing. Um, I've only done two days of the eight so far, but I've learned so much. I really wanted to share it with all of you and then to also share it with Kenji. So that's the premise behind this podcast. Yeah. I mean, what a, what an amazing experience to be able to actually learn from Rich Dad himself. Uh, and what's so cool is that when you're sitting there listening to Keith Cunningham talk, you can literally feel like you're a young Robert Kiyosaki getting these lessons because he is just a wealth of information. Uh, this man reads three books a week, right? Mm-hmm. And And not only that, he actually keeps detailed notes. He saves different things that he learns. He just like takes notes, he files them away. Uh, you could just see he has this huge database of lessons learned and he has a wealth of experience and it's just a privilege to be able to learn from him. Yeah, he's in the 70s actually and he's uh, at one point in his career lost a $100 million fortune. Um, and so he says that's an education that not many people get the opportunity to take that class. And it's true. I mean, he is incredible, has owned many, many businesses over the years um, and is very, very successful and has a lot to teach. Well, and then what's cool is that, you know, since then he's you know, bu- built it back up. You know, he lost his money actually mostly in real estate and and he didn't waste that opportunity, right? He, he learned from his mistakes and he built multiple businesses since then. And I think also what's cool is that, yeah, he's in his seventies, he's retired. Uh, he actually just sold all his businesses, he told us, um, but he's doing this special thing just for Tony Robbins Platinum members, uh, which we are members of. So I thought that was also really awesome. And also I wanted to kind of point out that this is also with a number of other entrepreneurs. So this is not just, you know, not just us, but we also get to learn from other entrepreneurs who are also building their businesses. And so it's been a, it's been a really great experience. Yeah, actually, there are 40 of us, yeah. uh, 40. Um, and you're allowed to bring one other member from your company to be there with you. So so there are really 80 of us in this mastermind that meets two days every single quarter. And I think I want to point out a couple of things. The, the reason we found Keith Cunningham in the first place is through Tony Robbins events. He speaks a lot at Business Mastery. 
And I really think that a lot of the reason, or he attributes a lot of the reason that he was able to go from a $100 million loss and being totally depressed and destitute to building up these businesses again is mindset work right. and that mindset work he did with Tony Robbins. So I really want to encourage you guys again to see the value that mindset doing the work, doing the mindset work can make in your financial life and business life. And this extends into real estate too and building your portfolio. Okay. So with that, I brought five of the main points I got out of the first two days to uh, share with all of you. And well, keep in mind, there's actually a lot of other important points, but we kind of distilled it down to the ones that we thought are most relevant to our listeners. Uh, and so let's kind of go with the first one. Yeah. So the first one is there's no such thing as passive income. There's only leveraged income. And this is a big one because I think a lot of people are out there thinking, okay, there's passive income. I can just throw some money towards something and it's just going to make me money. But the fact is it takes some effort to do anything. I mean, even if you're talking about investing in syndications, which a lot of people see as passive, you've got to put in that initial work to make sure you're putting in your investment into the right syndication that make sure that you understand the backgrounds of the people involved. And if you skip those steps, you're just taking a lot of risk and you're just throwing money and hoping that it's going to make and it, it just doesn't necessarily work. So actually what Keith uses is this really great analogy of a merry-go-round. He said, do you think that if you get your merry-go-round going and your business is making money that you can just stop moving it? No, absolutely not. It's just if you stop making any effort at all, it's going to die. And you know, how do you get that business going in the beginning? You have to put your shoulder in and push the merry-go-round to get it even started. So it's not only do you need to do that initial work, but then you need to watch the business. You need to monitor it. So I think that's really applicable to real estate because you do that upfront work in finding a property in doing all the cash and cash calculations, in doing your due diligence and making sure it's a good investment. And that's getting the merry-go-round going. But then you can't just buy it, give it to a property manager and never look at it again. If you really want to make a significant amount of money from it and maximize your returns, you have to be continuously involved watching the metrics month after month and making sure it performs. Well, I actually think that you can just with at least with real estate, you can hand it off to a property manager. That's what my parents did. But the key point is, is that they could have made a lot more money from that investment than they did because they didn't have their eye on the ball. They weren't paying attention to their investment at all. Something that we teach all the time in the in our real estate course is that, you know, once you buy a property, that's when you roll up the sle sleeves and get to work, right? And what that means for us is you're always asking this question of how can I increase the income or decrease the expenses of my property, which if you're able to do both of those, then you're actually increasing the cash flow that your property generates. And they're also actually increasing the value of that property. I did want to kind of talk about syndications because you mentioned that because I think it's a good lesson in terms of you know how people think about that and, and how if you don't put in any effort in screening, not just the general partners, but also if you're not screening the deal itself, then you are, like you said, taking on risk, right? And that's just kind of blindly throwing money at things. I will say that I think you know if you really want to be able to evaluate a syndication, I personally think that you need to understand how to invest in real estate, right? You need to understand and have owned properties in order to understand all the ins and outs of what these general partners, the people who are leading these syndications, what they are doing on a day-to-day -day basis 
you know, how they're managing that property and making money for you, right? And so you got to understand that, in my opinion. Sure, you can get lucky. You can throw money at something and make a return. Sure, that, that's certainly possible. I'm not saying that's not possible. But again, like I said, there's risk. You're kind of blindly doing it. Yeah. Okay. So my number two is about second order consequences. And so what this is, is, well, I got to say the easiest way to describe it is Keith Cunningham says, running enthusiastically in the wrong direction is not going to get you anywhere. And so what he's describing is how people will decide like, oh, this is going to work and just like go off running enthusiastically and make an error in where they, which direction they should be running and they're running the wrong way. So the, so it's a dead end, right? And so what he's talking about is a lot of us tend to be really optimistic when we first see deals. And this, again, is really applicable to real estate, but it's also applicable to any deal that anyone brings you, syndication, um, you know, even a business that you are wanting to buy. And you can see all the positive outcomes of making that decision, right? And you start to run enthusiastically in that direction, and you don't look at any of the potential negative consequences. And if you could live with those consequences. So Keith really gives us three things to think about whenever you're faced with a financial decision. And that's, you know, obviously, what are the upsides? And you're going to see that so easily because we tend to all be overly optimistic. But then he says, what are the downsides? And like really look at all the potential downsides and kind of map them out and think about them. And then lastly, consider the question, could I live with the worst case downside? Like, is that a situation I can live with? And if you can say, you know, I see all these upsides, I see all these downsides, and my worst case scenario, you know, even for a real estate deal, right, I can see what the cash on cash should be, I can see what could happen, maybe for making the cash and cash a little bit lower. Can I live with that cash on cash being that low? Is this still a good deal, right? And so just thinking through the whole decision from all different angles and making a much better decision because of it. Yeah. And I, I think you can apply this not just for yeah, for real estate deals, but also like you were saying, entrepreneurial like pursuits. So if you're thinking about starting a business, then these are really important questions to ask. In fact, I just got an email from one of our readers who was saying, asking me for advice about a business that they're thinking about starting. And and just like you said, it was all enthusiasm about the idea, right? And they were just thinking about the upside and how this was going to really potentially set them up for taking care of their family down the line, right? And so that's all they're kind of focused on. But I used this second order consequence. I said, okay, well, what are the downsides, right? And then can you live with the downsides, right? And, you know, I think in terms of uh, living with the downsides, you know, it's not just about can you tolerate them? It's also about can you come up with a way to mitigate those downsides, Mm -hmm. right? And so for us, when we think about real estate, we're always thinking about what's our backup plan for this property. So like, let's say a short-term rental, right? If we buy a short-term rental, right, what's the downside? Well, COVID could happen. And all of a sudden, you know, you can't rent your, you know, rent your short-term rental or a city might just say, Hey, we're shutting down all short-term rentals and, you know, no more short-term rentals in this area. Right. And those are the downsides. Well then, okay. Can you live with that downside? And then the other thing is like, what can I do to mitigate that? Right. And so what's my backup plan for that short-term rental? Could I convert it into a long-term rental? Does it work as a long-term rental? So what we'll do, we'll do the analysis for that property being a long-term rental and see how the numbers work, right? Or maybe I 
have to live in it as a primary residence. Could I do that? I mean, that's what happened to one of our friends in Hawaii was that, you know, that was one of the things is that take your most expensive short-term rental that's not renting out at all. Maybe you should live in it as your primary residence, right? And so these are the types of things you want to think about is kind of what's your backup plan. Yeah. And that's a really good point. He brings that up as well in terms of in the context of business, right? Because we're all business owners in this mastermind. And he actually says that we should start planning for all the potential things, downsides that could happen every single year and actually have a plan to address all of them. He compared that to actually September 11th. And said, you know, part of the reason that New York, New York City responded so well is they had a contingency plan already in place for that event. And so people just followed it. You know, it wasn't exact. Obviously, they couldn't predict the exact scenario. But because the contingency plan was already there, they were able to react in a, in a useful way so much faster. And so he said, as business owners, you always need to be spending some amount of your time thinking through all the potential negative downsides of anything like changes in laws, you know, changes in, you know, customer buying patterns, anything, and having contingency plans actually planned out ahead of time. Yeah, I, lo- I love all his stories and his analogies and his, you know, he's got such a wealth of stories to pull from. I mean, I guess if you read three books a week, you're, you're going to have a lot of stories to draw from, but also personal experience. So. Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio, cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the crash course in cash flowing rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E. Or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals, while you're at our website too. We'll see you there. The next one I have, number three, is thinking time. So thinking yeah. time is something we have talked about extensively in our blog and, and mentioned in the podcast as well, but I think it bears repeating. So basically thinking time is, you know, Keith says like one of your most valuable resources is your brain and your ability to think through uh, situations. And so what he suggests is at least twice a week, spending 45 minutes to an hour with a blank page and a notebook asking yourself really good questions. Um, and so his entire book, The Road Less Stupid, is actually laid out with questions for thinking time. Just to give you an example of one of the thinking time um, questions that he's t- asked himself before is, you know, how do I find an employee who's going to stay with me long term, is extremely loyal, and is going to produce good quality work? And when he sat down and did that thinking time exercise, he said, oh, you know what, I should be hiring ex-convicts who just got out of jail because they're going to want that security of a long job long term, you know, knowing that he's going to treat them right and take care of them, like that they will stay with him long term. And so that was one of the solutions he came out of asking himself a really good question with thinking time. Yeah. And I love that uh, story he tells where he, every time he, this is, he owns car washes and every time he goes to the car wash, that one employee, right, comes and gives him a big bear hug and, you know, just is so appreciative, right, that he's gotten this opportunity. And uh, yeah, that thinking time question resulted in hiring an awesome employee. 
Yeah. And so we've implemented thinking time in our real estate portfolio. Actually, we do it together and we go through each property and just ask ourselves the question, you know, how can we be providing a better living environment for our tenants and how can we be increasing income and reducing expenses? And we're doing those thinking time activity together actually every single week. Yeah. And I also wanted to kind of mention because this thinking time, I think, is for me one of the biggest lessons from working with Keith and just just listening to him. Uh, It is the most valuable thing because really you have the ability, anybody listening to this, you have the ability to solve any problem if you take the time to think. And that's the problem is most of us just don't take that time to think. The other problem is that most of us stop ourselves from thinking, right? And how do we do that? Well, the way we do that is we immediately go to our limiting beliefs and we go, I can't, right? And so, you know, it, it could be applied to anything. Let's take real estate, right? You know, well, I, I can't invest in real estate because I don't have the money, right? I can invest in real estate because I, I don't have the connections, right? You know, I can't re- invest in real estate because I don't have enough knowledge or experience, right? Um, or I can't compete with experienced investors, right? These are the things that we are, a lot of us are trained to to just go right to, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of this myself, right? And so one of the thinking time kind of questions that we use ourselves, but also work with, when we work with our students, we do this all the time. We say, how can you change that I can't to a better question, to a question, right? So, so change that I can't to how can I? Right. And when you start asking, how can I questions, then all of a sudden your brain starts to think and starts to come up with solutions. Right. How can I invest in real estate with no money? Right. How can I invest in real estate if I have no knowledge or experience or contacts right now? What can I do to increase my level of knowledge, increase my experience and increase my network? Right. And you start to think and start solving that problem. And so, again, thinking time, critical probably the best lesson. Uh, And if you can train your mind to think about problems instead of stopping yourselves from thinking, then you're going to be a lot more successful. Yeah, I, I want to mention that how Keith came up with this thinking time is I, I don't remember the name of the Wall oh, Street. I, I remember who well, was it? Well, so it's funny because I actually went to school with his son, so uh, he was in my Japanese class. But it, uh, it, it was Michael Milken, uh, and I love that story. But you know, he was doing a deal with Michael. He did these big leverage buyouts. He buy up big companies, and they were going to uh, buy out Gulf Oil, right? And so Keith was just in a meeting with him. And one of his employees came in and said, Hey, I need that decision on Gulf oil. Are we going to buy it or not? And Michael, uh, apparently during this meeting with Keith, they were doing a different deal. He pulls out his planner back then. It was a, it was a you know, like a little, uh, a paper planner. And he looks, flips through his like planner and goes, Hmm. Okay. Well, I have thinking time scheduled about this deal at 3 AM on Thursday. Right. <laughs> and so uh, and so you'll have your decision uh, an hour after that. Right. And and Keith was just like his mind was blown. He says, like, you have thinking time scheduled in your planner. <laughs> it was so funny. And then he actually called Michael Milken later and said, hey, I, I know you probably don't remember me, but we did this deal together. But what I wanted to ask you about was your thinking time. Tell me about this. Like, what do you ask yourselves what questions do you ask and, and what do you do? Like, you know, and so, cause he said every time he did thinking time, he'd fall asleep. 
right? So I, I just love that story. Yeah, the reason I brought up that story is because I think so many of us get approached by people who want decisions right now. And like I know in medicine, it happens all the time, right? You're constantly page interrupted, I need decision now. But if you don't have that time to actually think through the upsides and the downsides, the odds are you're going to make a poor decision because you haven't looked at, of course, what are the upsides, but what are the downsides and what are, can I live with those downsides? Asking yourself those questions. If you're working on somebody else's schedule of when you're going to make decisions, you will not make as good decisions. And so I think that laying this out in the calendar, having thinking time, protecting it. And then also, if you have an important decision, making sure that you tackle it then instead of just making it you know, without a whole lot of thought behind it. Yeah. And this book is really helpful. The Road Less Stupid is great for coming up with those thinking time questions because, you know, at first, you know, when you don't know what questions to ask, it's a little bit hard. And like he said, you know, you might just fall asleep. (laughs) And so I think it is really important to have those questions that really make your brain just active and go hyperactive and work, right? That's what you want to do with thinking time questions. Okay, my next one, number four, is the importance of metrics and standards. Mm -hmm. And so how this really got across to me this time in the mastermind is he actually showed us from his car wash all the metrics that he would look at every single week. It was like a chart of like, well, it's a dashboard of like 10 different metrics for every single employee would have their own metrics. And the keys were that the metrics were all defined, like the most important metrics. So, you know, it was like upsell um, above car wash or, you know, speed of car, car wash being done or whatever, or customer rating. But then he also had a baseline for it. So it wasn't just like, you know, what, how fast are people finishing washing the cars? But like, here's my baseline. I want the cars to be done in 45 minutes, you know, and then, and then you track according to the baseline and you see individual performance. And then you can see each week where those metrics are off and you can make adjustments. And he said, literally every employee would approach him at the end of the week and say, okay, these are the places that I was off this week. And this is what I've decided to do. So it never happens again. And so actually the employees are coming to him knowing where they, you know, made a mistake or had an error or didn't meet expectations, those high standards, and they're coming up with solutions for him. So it, it's just a totally different way of running a business. You can see why he doesn't necessarily have to be involved in the business for hours every day, why he can just literally look at a metrics chart and then have his employees give him solutions. It's it's a brilliant way of running a business. So yeah, I think for many people, it may seem obvious, but I think the question is, is how many people are actually implementing it, right? And, you know, I think about our own business, like, you know, do we have data to the level of like, how much are we, you know, making from each student, for example, right? That could be a question that we we would want to have a metric for. But the question is, how many people in their businesses have data to that level, right? I think another thing that is commonly said is that, you know, you can't manage what you don't measure, right? Mm-hmm. And so that'd be a, another thing. And so I think that most people, when they're managing, they're just kind of managing based on feel. They're not based, based uh, managing based on metrics, right? Uh, and so I think, yeah, absolutely. This is a really, really important one. Yeah. And I think this applies to real estate too. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to bring this up. So if you have a property and let's say you're baseline metric is I'm going to buy 10% cash on cash return. And you buy that property and you never look at metrics again, and you never do bookkeeping and you're never, you know, tracking performance every single month. And you don't have a standard in your head. Like, okay, every single month I want to see it performing 10% cash on cash. If you're not doing that work, 
things are going to fall apart and you're not even going to notice. You're not even going to notice when the property manager accidentally charges you an extra whatever amount of money or you aren't, aren't even going to notice that one renter is, you know, costing you a ton of money by doing maintenance requests every single month. You're going to miss those things because you're not seeing it over time. And actually he does bring up, he brought up in our mastermind too, the importance of having a budget so that you can see changes and how off you are from your budget every single month. So it's the same idea. If you're not looking at it, you know, with a frequency and you don't have a baseline of what you want, things are going to fall off the rails and your your property is not going to perform the way it could have if you actually followed your metrics. Yeah, I mean, if I think about the number of people who are actually, you know, really measuring the performance of their real estate portfolios, I think it's a very, very small percentage. And some of these metrics, you would think that, Oh, okay. If I hire a bookkeeper and get an accountant, um, I'll have these metrics, right? The problem is actually, we, we actually looked into this pretty deeply and we have a bookkeeping course, uh, which if you're interested, you can look into is, uh, most bookkeepers don't actually know how to create the right metrics, uh, specific for real estate, right? Bookkeepers, you know, are great at entering in the data. But the problem is, is that you need to categorize the data in a way where that data actually produces meaningful information for you. So I'll give you an example. With utilities reimbursement, one of the things that we do with our property is that we bill back utilities to the tenants whenever there's something like uh, water and sewer that we have to, the owner is responsible for. Uh, we bill that back to the tenants. And so you know, if you're not tracking this on a regular basis, uh, you're not going to know whether or not you're collecting enough uh, to offset the amount of money you're paying for these utilities. And I can guarantee you that most bookkeepers are not going to categorize that data to allow you to generate a report that will tell you exactly how much you're getting back in utilities reimbursement compared to how much you're paying out. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that just an example of how these metrics are so important, but you really need to dig into go to the level of the bookkeeping. And that's why we created this bookkeeping course, because we think it's so important to have the right metrics to uh, you know to track and to measure and then to be able to manage it. Um, and so if you're interested, you know, you can go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash bookkeeping and you can you can sign up for the course. It's a it's a course that's available all year round. Yeah, I think the key here is also we have not been perfect at this. In fact, we've sure. been way far away from perfect <laughs> for this for years. And so it's been a learning process for us. It's you know, we've made a lot of the errors that could have been avoided if we had followed metrics. And I think it's, yeah, it's not only about following cash on cash return, but like vacancy days and tracking your property managers, I think percent turnover, like how cool would that be to know like, hey, my fourplex on average has, you know, 25% turnover every year, but this eightplex only has 2% turnover. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I doing differently between these properties? And how can I reduce my turnover rate in this fourplex? because turnover is one of the highest expenses for a property owner. So there are so many metrics. If you have a dashboard that you're looking at every single month, tracking performance of every single property separately, mm -hmm. and actually every single unit we look at now to the unit level, it can make a huge difference. Yeah. And you have to go back to thinking time and, you know, you got to ask those questions, right? 
you know, how can I increase income or decrease expenses? And this is where some of these ideas came from, right? You were like, well, vacancy is one, you know, issue. Let's track that and let's measure that and let's see if we can improve that, right? And so that's that's what Thinking Time does and leads to metrics. And then you have to do the bookkeeping to actually get those reports. And then you have to keep the people accountable. Right. Like if your pro- one property manager has, you know, this ridiculously long vacancy time compared to any of the others, now you have that feedback mm-hmm. and you can keep them accountable to doing their job too. Well, I think that leads nicely to the next, uh, yeah. next one, right? <laughs> it so. does. It does. So the last one is the importance of culture in your business. And Keith defines culture as how people treat each other. And he has a saying, culture eats strategy for lunch. And the idea here is, you know, if you have the right culture in your business, you're going to do so much better because everyone's rowing the boat in the same direction. Everyone's treating each other with respect. Everyone's, you know, getting along and working towards the same goals. Your business will go much, much further faster. And he says part of it is part of his culture is saying the unsaid. And I've heard this also explained by other people as saying the 10%, which is having those difficult conversations, you know, not just from, you know, the manager level down, but even among individuals, encouraging people to say that 10% that we don't like to say to each other because it's uncomfortable or, you know, because we don't want to feel bad or we feel guilty or shame or whatever. But if we are transparent with each other, if we tell each other, you know, that hurt my feelings or you know, whatever it is, saying that 10% um, and having those difficult conversations will lead to a a different level of performance in the employees. And I think this is actually, you're right, completely applicable to real estate too, right? It's having those difficult conversations with your property manager. And actually, now that I think about it, I don't even want to say it's a difficult conversation because that frames it in such a negative Mm way. It's having that conversation that allows you to have much deeper relationship is the result, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you approach a coworker and you say, you know, what you said or how you treated me or whatever it was, that really hurt my feelings and this is why, then I think that allows the opportunity for them to see your vulnerability and for you to grow um, your relationship in a deeper way than you wouldn't have if you if nobody said that 10%. Um, and I have a friend actually who calls it compassionate truth telling. Because it's compassionate truth telling is about saying what you're thinking so that you can form that deeper bond and not just hiding it and building resentment and then separating yourself from the other person. Mm-hmm. So another part of that was also setting high standards and high standards starting with yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's the same kind of stuff, right? Which is like having those difficult conversations is that standard you set for yourself and you model it when you're in leadership. So Um, He gives this great example of a friend of his who is this like playboy who's always out, has lots and lots of women. And he shows up at the golf course, you know, for a golf game with Keith. And he's like, you know, late and he looks like totally terrible and like beat up and stuff. And Keith's like, what happened to you? And he's like, oh, last night I met the perfect woman and she's amazing and everything. And Keith's like, So why do you look so terrible? You know, what's wrong with you just met the perfect woman? And he's like, she wants a perfect man. And so this guy is not that perfect man, right? And so if you expect every team member to be perfect, but you're not perfect, like it's not going to work, right? And in fact, perfection is the lowest standard, right? Because nobody can reach that standard. So it's just understanding that, you know, you're not perfect. You make mistakes. Other people on your team are never going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes, but have those conversations that allow the deepening of the relationship because they're honest and truthful. 
Okay, so quickly, a recap. So number one, there is no such thing as passive income. There's only leveraged income. Number two, it's really important to think through all the second order consequences of any big decision you're making. Number three, thinking time and the importance of taking time, making it in your schedule multiple times a week to think through questions and ask yourself those right questions that make you actively come up with solutions. Number four, the importance of tracking metrics and setting standards and following them closely so you maximize performance. And that can be performance of your rental property or performance of your business. And number five, the importance of culture and treating each other well and setting the standards starting with yourself as a business owner. Well, that's all I have for you. Thank you for joining us here on another episode of Rich Doc, Poor Doc. See you next time. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.